Well, let's begin our reading in First Thessalonians chapter one and verse four. It says, "For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit." so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come." Our kids came to Christ at different ages. We had five different kids, and so they came to Christ at different times. And just when God was working in their hearts or lives, and I remember the struggle of when dealing with a child, you're you're always thinking, well, do they really understand? Do they really is this a decision they're making, or do they just kind of know that I want them to make it? Or you know, trying to read into them a little bit, it can be very difficult. It can be difficult for that not only with children, but sometimes. With adults, when adults make a decision, and maybe down the road a little bit, you, you wonder, well, where, where's the fruit? Where's, do you see this active in their life? Well, that is not the case in this letter to the Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, and he's got nothing but thanks to God and praise for these people and their faith in Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul is pointing out to them how evident their faith in Christ is, how He can see it in their life. We, we looked at part of that last week. In fact, last week as we looked at the first few verses, He pointed out to the works of faith, the labor of love, this steadfastness of hope as fruit from their having believed in Jesus Christ. Well, the passage that we're looking at today is going to go on in that same line, except it's going to change a little bit. And this is the little bit. When you're looking at faith, hope, and love, those are perfections of the Christian faith. But what he's going to focus on in verses 4 through 10 are more of the practices of the Christian faith. But he's still going to be looking at those as evidence of their faith in Christ and evidence of their relationship with God. Now, he starts out by focusing on the divine side of that relationship. As you look through Scripture, there's two things that you find constantly popping up. And one is the sovereignty of God in our salvation. That salvation is God's work within our hearts. But you also find human responsibility, that we're responsibility for our own sin. We have responsibility for our own unbelief and our own hardness of heart. And it's been the task of theologians down through the ages to try to understand how those two things come together. It's one that we continue to wrestle with and understand just how those things fit and work together. It's a deep subject and a mysterious subject. In fact, I think when you get to Romans chapter 11, you find the Apostle Paul coming to exactly that conclusion as he focuses on the magnitude of the wisdom of God. And so we're not going to delve too deep into that part this morning other than to recognize that that's where Paul starts. Notice he says, For we know, brothers, the word for connects it to what he said previously. What did he say previously? Basically, that he said, you know what, we love praying for you guys, remembering you guys in our prayers as we thank God for what He's doing in your life. Faith, hope, and love were, were examples of what God was doing in their life. And he said, you know what, that word four points back to what he'd already said, that we are praying for you and we're so encouraged by your walk with God. Now he says from there, for we know, brothers, 
Loved by God, that's the basis for his choosing, is his love. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. You see, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he is looking at the lives of these Thessalonians and he's saying, you know what? I can see so clearly God working in your life. I can see that God has completely changed your life. In fact, toward the end, he's going to say that you've turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. He's saying, I have no question about your faith. I have no question that God has chosen you because I can see what God has done by turning your life around 180 degrees. It is evident not only to me, but to all of us. But notice, he does leave the responsibility or the initiation of it right at the feet of God. You know, sometimes we have a struggle with that because we say, well, how is that, how is that fair? In fact, if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, the Apostle Paul even says, you're going to have a, tr- you're going to have trouble with this. You're going to feel like, how is this fair? And he raises the question, same question that comes up in our mind, which means you're understanding it correctly. If he anticipated the question that you yourself would ask, you're on the right track. The Bible's very clear that because of our sinful state, that we will not choose God. Jesus Put it this way, in John chapter 3, he says, And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love darkness. They love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so Jesus acknowledged that the darkness within us runs pretty deep. And we avoid the light, because it exposes the darkness within us. And that's why it takes an act of God to quicken our spirits, to make us alive to Him, to where we will put our faith in Him, where we will respond to that heavenly calling. That's why it said in John chapter 1 and verses 11 through 13, it says He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so John acknowledges, notice he says that we were all those who did receive Him, that happened according to whose will? He says, not the will of man, but the will of God was being fulfilled as those people placed their faith in Christ. He also said in John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. So you notice over and over through that passage, Jesus said this is the will of God, that everybody who the Father has given me, which means He's previously made a choice, Everyone who the Father has given me will come to me, and of those who come to me, I will lose none. And it heavily, through most of that passage, focuses on the divine side. This is the will of God. This is happening according to the will of God. In the end, it focuses on the human side, that all who believe in Christ would have this eternal life. But then just a few verses later, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. And so it kind of comes back to that choice that what is the Apostle Paul as he's thanking God and remembering these Thessalonians in prayer, what is he thanking God for? He's saying, I'm thanking God that it's so clear that God has chosen you. Now, have they chosen God? Yes. They have responded and put their faith in Christ. 
Why were they able to do that? Because God had already chosen them. And that's the point that the Apostle Paul is emphasizing at this point. He emphasizes it a lot in Ephesians chapter 1. And this is just a smattering of verses. It's, it's uh, really in many, many more places than what I'm sharing with you this morning. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, we find uh, him making it very clear. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now notice it says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. A few verses later in verse 11, He says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And so we see God's will again being heavily emphasized and that it is God that chose us when? Before the foundations of the world. You know, the day I chose God was, was in June 1985. The day He chose me happened before the foundation of the world. And so we're looking at God's side. Why? Because salvation is God's work. When, when our lives are turned around and headed in a godly direction, that is God's work within our heart. Philippians tells us it is God who works within us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That's why the Bible often uses different words to refer to believers in Christ. Sometimes it uses the word elect. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Often through Scripture, we are referred to as the elect. Notice we're not the electorate. In other words, we're not the ones doing the electing. We're the elect, the ones that were elected. In other words, chosen and chosen by God. That's also why some of the wording is interesting. Like in the book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 48. It says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So he looks at God's appointing, God's choosing, God's electing work. At any rate, the point that I'm trying to make is when we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, and the Apostle Paul is looking at the lives of the Thessalonians, he's saying, you know what? I am so encouraged as I see God's power at work in your life. And that's what we're looking at here this morning is God's power at work. He lists like three things in this passage that all speak to that same issue. He says in verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our Gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It didn't just happen in word. We saw the change that it made in your life. We saw the faith, the hope, and the love. And there's going to be about five other things in this passage that he sees that are evidences of God's work in their life. But notice what does he refer to? He says, we saw the power of God, which happens through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which results in full conviction. And so this passage really, as it unfolds before us the rest of the way, answers these questions. What does the power of God look like in my life? What does the Holy Spirit do in my life? What does He accomplish? What does full conviction, what does having full conviction look like as I live that out? Now, dealing with full conviction, it's a little bit hard to tell. Is he talking about the conviction that the apostles had in proclaiming the message? 
Or is he talking about the conviction that the people had when they put their faith in Christ? I don't think we really need to separate the two. I do think it's probably primarily the conviction the apostles spoke with. And the reason for that is because then he gives their own example. He says, you know what kind of people we were among you. I think approving the conviction or reminding them of the level of conviction that they had as they proclaimed the gospel boldly. But we also see within the passage that these people quickly became imitators of the Apostle Paul and those with him and then also became examples to other people. So the full conviction that was within the the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas also quickly became the full conviction was in the people that heard them. So I don't know that we really need to draw a distinction there completely. But the point is, what we're looking at is God's power at work in these people's lives. It's very similar to God's power at work in our lives, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, what it means to live a life of full conviction before God. And that's what we're concerning ourselves with here this morning. Well, as we go down through this passage, there's five practices that were motivated by God's power. Well, the first one is assimilation. And assimilation means that you find how to fit in, that you find that you kind of become part of this new thing. And what I'd look to for that is in verses 5 and 6. Because in verse 5 he says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power, Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us. And the word imitator is, is taken from the Greek word that we get our English word mimic from. I remember when I first came to Christ, I just started kind of watching what was going on around me and learning from other people. You know, I learned, I learned how to pray by hearing other people pray. And it was largely through just kind of assimilating to what they were doing. Listening to, oh, that's how you pray. That's how you talk with God. and Learned how to pray. You know, it was, it was through our pastor's teaching and other things that we learned in Sunday school and stuff of how I learned how some principles of Bible study and how to start reading the Bible and understanding it for myself and digging in and learning better. Uh, you know, it was through others that encouraged me to memorize verses or, or what I like to do more even is, is meditate on those verses. A lot of those things was just assimilation. You know, before coming to Christ, you don't know how to be a Christian. Of course, you weren't one. But upon coming to Christ, you begin to assimilate into the church. You, you see how things work there and, and how people function together and you just kind of join in and you start, you start learning and you start becoming part of the body and you start learning about things like spiritual gifts and, and understanding how God has wired you more as part of that body and, and where you can contribute and what, what God wants you to do. Is, and you start functioning with that body of Christ and as, as one with it. And, and so you assimilate into that. He also points out a little bit later in the book and in chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And so he said, you know what, there are also some things that were similar about you and the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, because they put their faith in Christ, they went through a lot of persecution in Jerusalem. And he said, you know what, you Thessalonians, you got kind of similar things. It's not the Jews that are after you, but some of your own countrymen have started to persecute you. And if you read Acts chapter 17, there was a big riot that was caused to try to discredit Christianity, try to get rid of Christianity. So there's a lot of persecution that they went through as well. And he says, you know what, you've hung tight. In fact, as we look at it, they assimilated in the midst of hardship. You know, a lot of times you think, because somebody that is new 
at trusting Christ, has recently put their faith in Christ, you think, well, if some hardships come along, is it going to upset their apple cart? What's going to happen with that? Are those hardships going to strengthen them or are they going to topple them? And so, But the Apostle Paul is looking at these group of people and he's saying, I know God's chosen you. Why? Because you imitated us. You assimilated right into the ministry. You formed your church. You gathered together. You're encouragement to one another. You're strengthening one another. You're learning how to be part of the body of Christ. And when the hardships came along, you stood strong. You actually grew through those hardships rather than shrinking away. And not only that, but in the midst of the hardships, you did it with joy. Joy, you know, that is joy in hardships is a real evidence of the Holy Spirit. Well, not only is there assimilation, but we also notice that there is evangelization. Evangelization, right? It means to share the good news. The gospel means good news, and evangelism is sharing that good news with a lost and dying world. You want to know why? Because there's just something about. I remember the day I came to Christ. It was a it was a Sunday. It was actually at church that I that I realized I needed Christ and I put my faith in Him. The very next day at work, you know what I was doing? I was sharing the gospel with the people that I worked with, telling them what happened to me the day before. You want to know why? Because all of a sudden I I knew what my sins had been taken away from me. Christ had borne my sins on that cross, had died in my place, and now I was alive. And would have eternal life because of what He did for me. And I wanted everybody to have eternal life. I wanted all the people that I work with to have the same experience that I did and have the same forgiveness and the same hope of a future. In verse 9, he says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you. Back in verse 8, he says, You guys sounded off into the whole area. And the, the word sounded off was usually used to refer to a trumpet blast or the cracking of thunder. <laughs> and so he's like, you guys have boomed, sounded off your salvation experience and the gospel message all over the whole region. And he says, in fact, we got people from other areas telling us about your faith, so much so that the, the gospel's already spread. It's like we don't even have to do anything in certain areas because you guys have already done it. I remember when Chad got serious about his faith. We had some conversations before that. He would said, you know, I'm the kind of person that when I'm in, I'm all in. And I, I believed him. But then I really believed him after I saw it. Because very shortly after that, he really took his faith seriously. And he just started sharing his faith everywhere he went, it seemed like. I remember talking to Lyra at one point. She said, you know, we're at the, we're at the lake putting the boat in the water. And Chad ends up meeting somebody new. And he's sharing, the, he's sharing his faith and his testimony with them. And that's a great tribute. That's awesome. You know what it's a sign of? It's a sign that God's done something in your life. It's a sign that God has turned your life around. That's what that's a sign of. And that's exactly what he's telling them. He says, look, you know, when, when God turns your life around and you see God's power at work in your life, you assimilate into the church. And you start to find where you fit and you learn how to do things that are foreign to you because they're new to you. And you've got a new family. And you find where you fit in that family. You know what else you do is you want to see that family grow. You're excited about this new family you're a part of and you want to see others part of that new family. And so you reach out in that way as well. You know, it also brings a separation because in verse 9, he says, For they themselves report concerning us what kind of reception we had among you. And then the last part, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So this one's actually going to kind of occupy two points in the outline this morning, there's a separation that takes place. You see, they couldn't turn to God without turning away from idols. You can't worship God and idols at the same time. You can't follow Christ and live in sin at the same time. It's just impossible. And so when you come to Christ, 
there's a change that takes place. There's a, there's a separation, you know what we're going to call it, a separation and an, and an occupation that takes place. Uh, he said that they served the living and true God. They got to work serving God. Well, you can't, uh, you can't serve God and Satan. You know, I think of that old uh, Bob Dylan song. Everybody's got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're all going to serve somebody. Even people that think that they've cast off all lords haven't. They're just serving the wrong one. But you know, the fact of the matter is we all are serving someone. He says you've turned from idols to serve the living and true God. There's a separation that took place. You know, when I came to Christ, actually I started kind of getting rid of some things in my life on the path to Christ. Because at first I just thought I was a Christian. Didn't really know what one was. Didn't really understand it all that much. And I started to become kind of more religious. I got around church, met, you know, met Lisa and her family, and they were going to church. I went to church with them. And I started learning more and seeing things and started realizing that some of the things that I was doing were not really right. And so I got rid of, tried to get rid of those things. And there were other things that were good that I should be doing, and so I tried to start doing some of those things. And so I was starting to make some changes already. And then when I came to Christ, well, then exponentially it happened because then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was within me. And so then I learned really fast and my life changed dramatically at that point. But the point was, you know what? There's, there's stuff in my life that had to go. Christ couldn't be on the throne in my heart and me still clinging to any of those things. They had to go. And that's what we see in this passage is that these people were worshiping idols. I'm sure their extended families were worshiping idols, so you can imagine the pressure that that would put on them when they're not going to temple anymore with their with their family, but rather they're going to church to worship Christ. But they made these changes. There's a separation that took place. You know, I remember when I was well a couple different times. One one time I was off in Bible college. I don't remember. I think I was still living in Washington the other time. But when I was in high school, I was a very different person. And I was involved in very different things. After I moved from where I lived over to Seattle side of the mountains and then met Lisa's family and stuff and, and uh, started to go to church and then eventually came to Christ and, and uh, had my life turned around. Sometime after that, two different friends that I had gone to high school with at different times, I got phone calls. And the phone calls were very similar. In fact, one of them I think had run into my parents somewhere and they told them where I, what I was up to the, at, those, at that time. And they called and, and they said, I, I heard that you were off at some Bible school and that you were like getting ready to be a, a preacher or something. And they said, you know, I just had to call and see what happened to you. What made the change? That was a big change from what they knew me in high school to going off to Bible college. That was a, that was a big change. And they were like, there's, there's something that's happened here. I want to know what it is. Well, so I told them, I gave them the Gospel. I told them, I said, well, you know what? I... I came to faith in Christ. I realized my sin was keeping me before, uh, from God and I put my faith in Christ. And Both of them told me the same thing. Well, I didn't really call you for a sermon. And I said, well, I'm not trying to give you a sermon. I'm just telling you what happened to me. And you might not like what happened to me, but this is what happened to me. And I told, I just gave my own personal experience of my faith in Christ. And, but the point is, you know, there was a real separation from what my life was before to what my life was in Christ. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. That's the power of God. That's, that's full conviction that makes that change within us. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was looking at these Thessalonian believers and saying, I can see the power of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, full conviction in you through these changes in your life. But then it's not just about what you leave. It's also about what you embrace. 
Right? The reason you leave these things is because you're embracing this. You're embracing Christ. And so that's why you leave these things. I love the Apostle Paul in Romans. He calls himself the Apostle Paul separated unto the Gospel. He didn't focus so much on what he was separating from, but separating to, separated unto the Gospel of God. When I first moved over to the Seattle side, I was still my old self and kind of living out some of my old sinful ways even there. And I had some friends there that I was hanging out with and we were doing very similar things to what I was doing back home. And then I met Lisa. And all of a sudden, things started to shift a different direction. I saw more purpose that could be had in life, more meaning to life. And so all of a sudden, I wasn't hanging around those guys too much and... uh, I was with Lisa about every every chance I could be with Lisa. I was with Lisa, and at one point, one of my one of those friends, Jeff, he came up to me and he says, "Man, I hardly see you anymore." He said, and I just looked at him and smiled. And he says, "I'm not being funny." He's like, "We have, we haven't done anything together in quite a while." And I was like, "Yeah," and he, and he's thinking this is a real bad idea, and I'm thinking this is so cool <laughs> because, because if you think I'd rather be with you than her, you're crazy, <laughs> you know. But, you see, there was a separation. I wasn't sorry to see that go because of what I was embracing now. And that's the way it was with Christ, too. The things that I've left behind in my life, you know what? I'm good riddance. I'm glad they're gone because I have something so fulfilling, so awesome, so eternal in Christ. And so there's that occupation of not only leaving the things behind, but how am I going to serve God? What what does God have for me to do for Him and His kingdom? Who else can I share the Gospel with? Who can I be a blessing to? Who can I be an encouragement to? Where does He have a place for me? Because He has a place for all. Well, then lastly, an anticipation. Because in verse 10, He says, "...and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come." "...and to wait for His Son from heaven." You know, one of the evidences of signs of the power of God in our life is that we are looking forward to the return of Christ. Now, I know there's different times in our life where sometimes that's a little bit challenging. People that are engaged to be married don't want Him to come back quite yet. They're looking so forward to that new life with that person. People that are haven't had kids yet, but married and looking toward having kids, they'd like to experience that first. You know what? No matter what experience you have on this earth, it's not going to trump the, your, your relationship with Christ when He comes back for us. And that's what uh, He says. You know what? Built right into that faith that we have is an anticipation of Christ's return. We long for the day that Christ comes back. We look forward to His coming. You know, there's a lot of blessings that we get to experience here in this life. They are just a drop in the bucket compared to what that's going to be like on the other side of glory. And our faith communicates that to us, and so we are ready. We long for the appearing of Christ. You know what I think of when I think of that? I think of Revelation. Revelation is a book full of explaining the wrath of God that's going to be coming on an unbelieving world and our deliverance from it. And he gives that revelation to the Apostle John. And so John gets to see all this. And when you come to the conclusion of that, the conclusion is what God's going to do at the end of the outpouring of that wrath. And setting up His kingdom and then the new heavens and the new earth and, and the eternal state that we get to live in forever with Him. And in the midst of the very last chapter of that book, in Revelation chapter 22, in verse 7, Jesus says this. He says, And behold, I am coming soon. 
Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. And then in verse 12, he says again, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay, repay each one for what he has done. And then in verse 20, getting right toward the end of the, of the whole Bible, he says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. So you get to the last chapter of the Bible, and Jesus three times in that chapter says, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. And what I love the most is John's response, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You see, there's an anticipation of Christ's return that we long for that is a result of full conviction. It's a result of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. It's a result of God's power being fleshed out in our life. And so as we consider it here this morning, the power of God assimilates us into the church The power of God is seen in evangelization. We see the power of God in the separation that takes place, but also the occupation that we turn from our sinful ways of the past and embrace the future that God has for us and begin to serve Him. And all these things being done with a longing for the return of Christ.